0: Well, Canada has followed the RBA and lifted rates over rising concern about too much demand, keeping inflation too high for too long. We'll talk about what Philip Lowe had to say yesterday, one day on from the RBA rise. And a big fall in China's exports. What's driving that and what does it mean for Australia, in particular the Aussie dollar, which was rising again but then lost its momentum and started to come back down again. The key message, it seems, as bond yields rise and equities fall. Expect more from our central banks. It's Thursday, the 8th of June, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Incidentally, before we get down to business, NAB is launching the FX Superannuation Survey for this year. This survey has been going for 22 years. It's regarded by the super industry as the most in-depth currency management survey focusing on the FX hedging techniques of Australian Superannuation funds. So if you work for a super fund, you might have received the survey already. If not, it's coming to you. So look out for it and fill it in. Thank you. Uh, Now, big moves up in yields today. Ten-year Treasury is up 13 basis points, up 18 in Canada, 15 in Italy, eight in Germany and five in the UK. Aussie ten-year yields rose just two basis points yesterday up to 3.82%, but they've added 13 basis points on top of that on futures since then. And the US dollar dipped down, then it came back up to where it was uh, yesterday. The Aussie, meanwhile, has come back off a bit. It's down 0.3% today, just over 66.5 US cents now, with the euro ever so slightly up, the pound up almost 0.2%, the yen down a third of 1%, and a mixed day for US equities. It closed the Dow up 0.3%, the S&P down 0. Four percent, The Nasdaq losing 1.3%, but the Russell 2000 is up 1.8%. But overall, IT not doing well, energy stocks doing very well, uh, in fact, up over 2.7%. No surprise then that oil prices are up 1.2% higher for WTI, 1% for Brent, which is over $77 now, a much bigger move in gas as well this morning. Now, Sally Old is with me today from JB Weir in Sydney, and I did suggest yesterday that maybe the Bank of Canada would raise rates just... Just because the RBA did, they're being copycats, but uh, they did. The rise is just another example, though, isn't it? The central banks are running scared. Is that putting too fine a point on it? You know, which is why bond yields are so much higher today.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, obviously the RBA has surprised markets in the last couple of months. And the Bank of Canada did the same thing last night. And I think... The, the big moves in bond yields we saw overnight, I think, were the markets adjusting to a new reality, which is that you know many of these central banks aren't aren't done yet, and and the, the narrative is sort of a familiar one, which is for the Bank of Canada, you know, they've been on hold for the past couple of meetings, but it was really a story around um, quite remarkable resilience in domestic demand and a pickup in spending on interest rate sensitive goods and a rebound in housing, and so that just sort of leaves the central bank with a a nagging worry that you know, with domestic demand proving to be pretty robust, inflation just will be stuck above, you know, the two percent target. So, um yeah. I think they weren't overly hawkish in in the statement, but you know, I think the market's certainly on notice that, you know, central banks um, might have paused for a bit, but they're they're potentially not done
0: was the surprise element to it wasn't it so two year yield shot up 19 basis points almost getting mm. up to 4.62% the highest since 2007 so 16 years ago that's that's where we are now yeah that's right and
1: so this is i think for- forcing people to acknowledge that that you know maybe that period post uh, financial crisis where we did have you know a really protracted period of very low interest rates um, might have been the aberration. Um, and it feels yeah. like at least sort of in the dollar block or the developed market economies, you know, where we're sort of starting to understand that actually maybe policy rates with a five in front of them or something close to it is is sort of what's required. And, you know, the Fed's already there, the Kiwis are there, um, the Canadians got close last night, and, and I think, um, you know, the UK will get there as well. Um, and that's, I guess, part of the reason why, You know, recently, in the last couple of days in Australia, economists are now starting to talk about a terminal rate that's closer to five than four.
0: Well, so Aussie two-year yields, I mean, they went up quite a bit, didn't they, after the decision yesterday. Mm-hmm. You might have thought, well, maybe they'll come back a bit. But uh, no, they've uh, they have continued, haven't they? So uh, not sh- far short of 3.9% now. We don't, we don't have to go back 16 years, but I think we can go back to 2011 to see mm-hmm. yeah, to see yields this high in Australia. So uh, this, this rising, uh, continued rise in Aussie yields, I guess Bank of Canada might have had a bit to do with that, the realisation that this is a contagious thing. But also, how much did Philip Lowe have to do with it? with his his speech yesterday morning. Yeah,
1: that's right. So obviously they hiked on on Tuesday and then yesterday he turned up at a conference and and delivered a speech, um, you know, which was called a narrow path, not the narrow path, but a narrow path, which of course refers to (laughs) this story that they have that, you know, they're trying to keep the economy on an even keel and they hope that they can bring inflation down and not really do too much collateral damage to the economy in the process. and, And therefore we can sort of tread this narrow path and get to a scenario where inflation comes down and the unemployment rate still sort of got a four in, ha- uh, in front of it. Mm. Um, He's on tiptoes
0: yeah. now, isn't he? In, the path has <laughs> got that narrow.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, they're probably losing conviction in in their ability to deliver that outcome. Um, mm. But, you know, it was really, I guess, just a an articulation of some pretty familiar themes, but just really fleshing out, um, you know, what was in Tuesday's statement after the rate rise. And I guess, you know, what he was at pains to say was that this desire to preserve some of those gains in the labour market, because, you know, he does make the point that, yep, we do have a problem with inflation, but we should also be celebrating the fact that we've got full employment, um, because that is sort of the holy grail of macroeconomic management when all is said and done. But he sort of said this desire to preserve as many of those gains doesn't mean that we will tolerate um, higher inflation. There's a limit to how long it can remain above target. And so I think he was just really reflecting the fact that, you know, the, the approach that they've taken, which is to have a slightly um, slower or more gentle descent in in inflation relative to some of their peers, means that they've got no room for error on inflation. And I think the, the sort of cumulative effect of all the little bits and pieces of information we've had in the last month, whether it be the Fair Work Commission decision, the monthly inflation numbers, um, the numbers that we got yesterday in terms of unit labour costs, like they all sort of... Um, I think made the case for for more rate hikes, um, yeah. and so the market's been put on notice that they're not done yet, which is why we've seen front end yields rise and the yield curve flatten.
0: Yeah, and he did say, didn't he, the Fair Work Commission decision was actually one of the reasons why they, mm. they did lift mm. rates sooner rather than later, even though Jim Chalmers seems to have a, <laughs> have other ideas on that. <laughs> so the uh, the GDP numbers yesterday, let's talk about those, up 0.2% Q on Q, 2.3% year on year. So a bit lower than the RBA forecasts. Uh, does it show, though, that the RBA approach is working? We are seeing softer household spending uh, but we are seeing wages taking longer to, to come down. And uh, and productivity, really, that was the concern, wasn't it? Uh, which I know Philip Lowe is con- very concerned about as well, obviously.
1: Yeah, so he's he's basically saying, look, you know, I've got no problem with wages growth running at sort of three and a half to four in aggregate. Um, however, you know, the, the sort of condition or the necessary condition is that we get some productivity growth to go along with it. Because if we don't, then we've got an outcome mm. that's not consistent with the inflation target. Um, but you're exactly right. So you know, pretty soft GDP number, and I think what it really reflects is that you know RBA rate rate hikes are, are working. We're getting traction. We've got sort of soft consumption, weak dwelling investment. The household savings rate is coming down. So it sort of tells you that in those interest rate sensitive areas of the economy, um, you know, they they are now sort of running at a, a much lower run rate than was the case you know six to 12 months ago. Um, How
0: realistic is it, though, to expect productivity is going to pick up, given that, first of all, you know, it's not picking up mm -hmm. anywhere in the world, just about, uh, you know, most developed economies anyway. And if you look back in in Australia, productivity was pretty flat from about 2016 up to the start of the pandemic. Then it rose during those pandemic years. I guess part of that would be because there were less hours Mm -hmm. worked. So those people who were working were really doing the job, probably of several people. And now it's coming back to where it was uh, in early 2020. So if we hadn't had that peak, we'd just look at it and go, well, it is a problem because it's flat, but it's not coming down. It's only coming down because it went up so much. Like
1: <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, I guess his point is in the three years, you know, it's gone up and it's come back. It's done nothing. we was doing nothing um, before. On net. And, and <laughs> so that's not a... A sort of overly sustainable situation, nor a desirable one, given that we know over the long run, really the only way to lift our standard of living is is to do that by um, lifting productivity growth. But you know, this is not a uniquely Australian story. We're seeing this in in many no. developed economies. But I guess it just really, you know, from from their perspective, you know, that don't that's not their mandate. They don't have a mandate to lift productivity growth. That is the government's job. Um, and so I guess, you know, what he's really saying is, you know, it's great as a Labor government to want workers to be paid more, but that has to be accompanied by productivity growth. And, you know, very much I think he's saying that ball's in your court, not mine. Um, and the numbers yesterday, you know, were, were pretty, pretty grim on that front. So unit labor costs, um, you know, were up 2% in the quarter and almost 8% year on year. And those sorts of numbers, um, you know, are completely inconsistent with getting inflation somewhere between 2 and 3%.
0: Now, US equity markets have been behaving very strangely this year, haven't they? Almost as though they are oblivious to uh, to, to what's going on in the economy or the the, the wider world. But maybe a reality check uh, at long last. So tech stocks uh, uh, now getting the message, perhaps, uh, that more hikes are coming. They've taken a hit. Alphabet down 3.7%, for example. Meta down 2%. So basically, ad-dependent tech stocks are hurting today. Uh, but it has been curious, isn't it, how well U.S. stocks have done so far this year. So the S and P 500 up over 11 percent year to date, compared to one percent for the ASX. So any theories on on the, the reason why? And does this mean that um, you know that the U.S. is going to take more of a hit than than, than Australia? What happens now? In, I mean, it's anyone's guess. I know, but equities in Australia are they are they going to take a hit? Now we're all getting the message that it, things are going to be tougher.
1: Yeah, so it's been an interesting, as you said, interesting sort of an Somewhat unusual rally in equity markets because the Nasdaq's up, you know, over 25% so far this year. The S&P, you know, a little bit over 10%. Um, and I think that that sort of tells the story that really the rally, um, at least in the S&P, has been driven by a really narrow group of stocks, um, and that's effectively, you know, the tech sector. So it hasn't been a broad-based rally. And and I think if you if you sort of equally sector weight the S&P, you'll find that it's it's broadly flat um, year to date. And and so you know, for the Australian market, we didn't have a huge exposure to tech. So we sort of miss out when, when you know, the, the tech sector um, outperforms. But I think also, you know, when you look at the major sectors in our market, sort of being materials, um, which are sort of broadly unchanged, you know, maybe up one or 2% so far this year, um, but also financials, which are down four and a half percent, you've got basically half the index, either flat to lower. Um, and so it sort of makes it you know, a difficult environment, I think, for, for our market to to sort of outperform on a, on a global basis. Um, and, you know, at the moment, I think, you know, the market is is sort of going through a bit of a, a shift as it starts to understand that, you know, it's been very much happy to price in the soft landing narrative, which is, of course, you know, the one that the RBA has talked about, which is that we can have our cake and eat it. We get a little bit of a rise in the unemployment rate, but inflation comes down and on that, that's a pretty reasonable outcome for for corporate earnings. And I think people are now starting to understand that the distribution of risk to those sorts of forecasts are in the wrong direction. So the risk is that the unemployment rate goes up by more and that growth slows by more. Um, And so this is forcing, I think, a bit of a, a rethink about the outlook for corporate earnings here in Australia. And we are starting to see just in the last sort of week or two some of these companies that are you know pretty highly discretionary in nature um, come out and, and with earnings downgrades or, or mm. profit disappointments. And this is sort of the confession season ahead of the official <laughs> reporting season in, in August. So we've had, you know, two or three of those. And I think the market's now on notice that, you know, maybe. Um, things are starting to get real,
0: right? Yeah. Now, what do we make about China's trade data yesterday? That was real as well. Exports down seven and a half percent. That was a big surprise, but also presumably it's a bit of a concern, isn't it? See, Reuters had uh, one a- one angle on this. They said that basically uh, China had caught up on the backlog of unfulfilled orders after COVID, and there's not enough global demand basically to sustain a recovery. So the 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 increase that we saw was just a plain catch up. And now there's nothing else to replace it. So, uh, so it's, you know, it's demand-driven rather mm. than uh, mm. supply-driven.
1: Yeah, that's right. So the, you know, again, another piece of weaker data for the month of May. I mean, it was week through April and you know, pretty much most of the data has been week through May as well. And, and again, has economists talking about downside risk to their second quarter GDP number. But yes, the, you know, the export numbers were pretty, pretty soft, um, down almost 8% in the month. And when we look at sort of where the weakness was, it was pretty much across the board. So, you know, weakness all through the G3 economies, Japan, US, Europe, but also EM Asia was soft as well. So there wasn't really any any sort of bright spot in terms of the export outlook. And people are now starting to say that, well, you know, maybe this story is actually going to be a bit of a growth drag. So net exports might detract from growth in the second half um, of the year. And it's it sort of just... Same story, different sector that, you know, the, the positive momentum we saw in the first quarter seems to have um, basically evaporated in, in the second quarter.
0: Yeah, and that deflationary impact of buying stuff from China, uh, we're seeing less of that as well, of course, if we are buying less from mm.
1: China. Yeah, no, I think that's that's right. I mean, you know, chi- China is sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, the, one of the few economies in the world where, you know, they actually probably have, you know, not enough demand and too much supply and hence, you know, inflation um, you know, is really quite low in China at the moment, especially, you know, compared to the rest of the world. So, yeah, I think the, the you know, the China story is, is, you know, a few people are scratching their heads and sort of saying, look, this recovery is quite different to the ones that we've been accustomed to in China, where it tends to be, you know, driven by stimulus and a lot of it concentrated in that, um, you know, infrastructure sort of investment space. And this is a, this is a different one. It's not about the industrial sector. It's not about manufacturing. It's more about services consumption. And that I think is a recovery with very different contours.
0: So the yuan is uh, is down a quarter percent on the US dollar. One dollar now buys seven point one three CNY. Uh, it peaked over seven point one four. We're also seeing copper prices down quite a lot today as well. So there's quite a uh, a response to to the to that trade data, isn't there? What does this mean for the Aussie dollar? Do you think looking forwards? It's
1: sort of hard for you know the Aussie to, to have a meaningful outperformance or a meaningful rally when um, you know dollar Asia is. Is rallying so that you know the U.S. dollar is is stronger versus many of the the Asian currencies. So yeah, Aussie just seems you know remarkably sort of quite low beta at the moment. It's just stuck in 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 this sort of range around the mid sixties um, and sort of unable to to break convincingly in in one direction or the other. And I think there's probably a couple of dynamics going on. So you know people are clearly a bit worried about the China growth story. People are now starting to say with the debt ceiling out of the way um, and this potential liquidity withdrawal out of the US system as the Treasury basically replenishes its, its cash balances, that's going to be quite dollar positive. People are worried about the global growth story. That's a dollar positive story. And then, of course, when we look locally, you know, people are now saying, well, yes, the RBA is raising rates, but, you know, ultimately the impact of that could be a much weaker economy than people had anticipated. And I think on net all that's... All that sort of stuff, you know, acts as a pretty major headwind to the Aussie at the moment. So
0: All right. Well, today, uh, fairly quiet, isn't it? Uh, we get the Australian trade balance this morning. Uh, mm. So the size of the surplus is expected to fall a little, but still, you know, still 14 billion in surplus instead of 15 billion yeah, less. Yeah, it's month. a pretty big still number. Big yep. number uh, business activity indicators for New Zealand as well, and the initial jobless claims for the US, but otherwise, uh, quite quiet. So uh, that probably means it's time for us to sneak out the back door, Sally, while no one's looking. And uh, we'll catch you again next time. Thanks. All right. Thanks very much, Phil. Never a dull moment, is there? That's it for the morning call for this thursday morning i'm phil dobby for now back again tomorrow morning i'll see you then thanks for listening